Today's scripture is Ephesians 1, 15 through 19. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his great might. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You guys can take a seat. Thanks, Allison. Good morning again, everybody. Uh, my name is Sean, if I don't know you. I'm the lead pastor teaching pastor here for Redemption Peoria. Um, and uh, I'm glad you're here. I want to uh, pray, but before I do, I actually want to read verses 15 and 16 and then say something real quick to us as a congregation. Uh, and then I'm going to pray a, um, a prayer of illumination over us for our text. But I want to read this first and, and say a few words. It says this in verse 15 uh, of Ephesians 1. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. Um, I want to remind you this is written to believers. And um, as I was processing this, I think sometimes when you teach exegetically, you can teach yourself right into corners, meaning uh, there's a way to go about looking at the text and getting super excited about making sure you get exact, the exact verb right and the noun right and how it correlates and all that stuff. And it's fun and I love doing it. Um, But there's a sense as I read verses 15 and 16, just to recognize what Paul is doing uh, up to this point, talking about soteriology, which we'll talk about in a second, but really just kind of stopping and and looking forward and kind of looking backwards. So when he says for this reason, I think I would argue looking forward for this reason, because of your love for Jesus Christ and your or your faith in Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Um, And and what I wanted to do before I prayed is just kind of stop and um, let you know what, what I am personally thankful for with Redemption Peoria. Um, and I think I speak for the elders to, to say what, what we're thankful for in Redemption Peoria. And I wanted to be able to kind of like process this in different ways, maybe race or gender. Um, but, but let me just say it like this in, in forms of age, because no one's missed out in, in that way. Um, man, if you're in here and you're age five to like 10, um, this isn't only your parents' church, all right? Sweetie, buddy, whoever you are in here. And I know maybe your parents maybe make you go when you'd rather go kick it uh, with the other kids in the classroom and, and they have a belief and I love that they have a belief to have you in here. Um, and even if you go in there sometimes, back there is just as much of Redemption Peoria as, as in here. And this is your church. So know that whether you're 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11 years old, that this is your church. And, and to those of you who are junior high to high school students, um, very intentionally we set out to not have a youth group. We wanted to put youth kind of in their own community. We felt like that was the one niche that we felt would be homogenized in our communities. But maybe you don't know this if you're 11 to 18, 17 years old in there. Um, For like years, I was a youth pastor. And I always hoped that we would be able to, or when I planted a church, I'd be able to have a church where I would be able to talk to junior high and teenagers and make it just as understandable and applicable as I would to maybe the older folk. We'll call them the older folk because to you, everyone's older folk. Um, and so can I just say this to you? I'm thankful you're here. I really am. And I know maybe it feels like 
this just isn't your place, and maybe sometimes I yell too much for you, or maybe sometimes it might feel like it's over your head, but this is your church, and I'm thankful you're here. I'm thankful that God has called you to be a light in your schools, uh, uh, with your friends in your neighborhoods. I really am thankful, and I pray for you a lot. And, and, and so those of you who are college age, right, maybe you're not in college, but just college age, 19 to, well, some are in college at like 40, but let's say 19 to like 23, 24, 25 years old, um, man, I know for some of you who are in school, this is a place right now, Redemption Peoria is your home um, for now, because you're just going to maybe GCU or, G, or GCC or Mesa or PVCC, wherever you are, and you're just kind of here for a limited period of time, I really am grateful that you are here. And can I say this to you? Um, you are the legs in which keep us going, right? So we trust on the older crowd, which I'll talk to in a second, to give us the wisdom and to speak into our life. But man, it's difficult for them. It's difficult for a 75-year-old man to, to get up and then to, to be able to move all the things that he's moving. Some are committing to do it. But man, you're 19 years old and you wake up and nothing hurts. Now that will change, okay? But, but hear this. I mean, you, you are the legs you, you, and, and, and it's your life. If we, were, if we didn't have 23 and younger, hear me when I say this, it would feel lifeless. Now that's not to say if you're older, you don't have life at all. But at the end of the day, like you bring this like jubilance, is that a word? Can I just make it up right now? Resuberance and, and jubilee together, jubilance. Um, and, and I'm grateful for you. I, I've made comments before even uh, to say that like, hey, this, for, I'm grateful uh, during the, June, or the Christmas season or whatever to say, at the end of the day, I recognize that uh, the college students aren't here and this is who we consider church because it's 20 years down the road. The people who are here aren't as trans yet. That doesn't mean you're not part of this church. I really am grateful. And I need you to know this. I defend you a lot, okay? The elders and leaders defend you a lot because we get accused of being this young church and we're trying to just be cool, which we're not. Um, and, and we're grateful. We really are grateful that you're here. And maybe some of you, you you're going into to late 20s, maybe early 30s. Um, I, I want to tell you, I'm grateful that you're here. I mean, that's me. And, and we are maybe just in the process of starting a family or have an established family. We're on the back end. To, I, I think we kind of know we're, we're, um, we're old enough to know that we're still young, right? We, we know that we don't have all the answers and we're recognizing that our parents were right a lot. We're in that season, right, as we go into this. And whether you're married or not married, you're in that season right now where you're kind of seeing age-wise. And I need you to know, I really am. As elders, we really are thankful and hear this. We pray for you a lot. We pray for your little babies that are in the nursery, your kids, as you're getting your families going. We pray if you're single at this point, that God would continue to provide clarity as to what you're to do. We really are grateful and thankful for, for you and all that God is doing in your life. That's not a cliche just to throw out there. And then the Gen Xers, right? So maybe as a Gen Xer, you've uh, you got kids who are teenagers, junior high. You, you've got those kids that I was talking about that are in the junior high, high schools and uh, students. And let me just say this to you. Um, not only are, are we, we grateful for you in the same way, but can I just acknowledge something? You're, you're just like a half a step or a step ahead of some of us, and you're desperately needed right now. Because right now you're raising maybe those junior high and high school students who are in a completely different world than the way that we grew up. And, and uh, let me just say from the 25 to 35-year-old, we're looking to that next step to see how you handle things because you're going to make a bunch of mistakes. You're going to make a, 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 a bunch of, you're going to have a bunch of bumps. And you're going to do things right, and we need to learn from that. So I really am. We're grateful for where you are. And maybe you don't even have kids in that that season. You're solid in your career. You're going and you give. Thank God you're here. You give. Okay? Money is what I'm talking about. Okay? (laughs) 
And then we, we move into, uh, as we kind of move past the Gen Xers, let's just, for the sake of, uh, let's just, okay, so let's at least do the baby boomers before I just say everyone else. Um, the baby boomers. So if you're a baby boomer in here, there's nothing that has brought more balm to my soul than watching Bruce and Paula Walbert continue to lead the community that they are. The, the season in which they're in, they have these kids who probably, most of you have your kids graduated or at the, the, at the end of the day, they are graduating. Maybe you're approaching retirement somewhere in there. Uh, you're thinking about it at least. I mean, you are so vital. You are, I was told once, read the books by the guys who are old enough to have the wisdom, but still young enough to remember in clarity. And I, you're right in that pocket, right? You, you, you've got this ability right now where you're, it's still real close. You remember your kids are out of, maybe you're an empty nester and you're moving towards retirement, but you have such clarity still and such wisdom that puts together and you really are a cornerstone. And I am thankful that you're here. You make up what Redemption Peoria is. And then lastly, to the silence generation or the greatest generation, um, it's hard not to be proud of Redemption Peoria when I walk up and I see Johnny Weekly with a bolo tie greeting me. It's just hard not to. Like I see him and I recognize not only one, do we need more gray hairs? So I'm talking to you, okay? We need more gray hairs because there's so many of us, when I go back to maybe the college students that that are saying, man, I want to be discipled. We're looking to you. We're looking to you to disciple us. Uh, But but more so, um, as we get into uh, understanding of our culture, we tend to... um, press down those who do not produce. Meaning our culture is so produce-driven that when you get into the older parts of your years, well, you're no good to us. And what's crazy about the Bible is it's the exact opposite. It's the exact opposite. It would be you if we were in Jerusalem in the first century sitting at the gates. You would be the ones deciding who gets to come in and out of our city. Look at me. I'm so grateful you're here. And I know you may feel like you're a minority and you may feel like you're not part of like the cool, younger church. That's just not true. You are part of Redemption Peoria. I'm thankful for you. I am. I'm truly thankful for you. Now, if you're older than that, okay, we're just glad you're alive right now because you'd be like 115. (laughs) You'd be like, honestly, I think about 115 years old, which Jim is pushing it. Let's be straight, okay? So I, I want to pray for Redemption Peoria. And honestly, listen, I wanted to go like, I know some of you are dealing, man, there's some of you even in this room, you're not even believers, and you feel like, well, I just like Redemption Peoria. I'm glad you're here. I really am. Continue to wrestle. We got a baptism class coming up for those of you who are new believers. And maybe you don't have all the language going on, but you're like, I want to be part of this community. I want to be in Jesus Christ. This place is for all of us. We are everything but liars. And some of you... St- struggle with homosexuality and greed and lust. This place should be a place where we can ask questions and press into them, not reject. So I hope at the end of the day, you know, just speak for myself, and I I believe I speak for all the elders. We are grateful for the community that God has brought to Redemption Peoria. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for who you are. I'm thankful that those in this room right now have a faith in Jesus Christ and a love for all the saints I'm thankful that we're pressing in to your word when we feel like we just keep sinning and we can't get it right. And yet last week we're reminded that we're still sealed. I'm thankful for the newborn to the 105-year-old. I'm thankful for everyone in between. God, as a community, we recognize that we need each other. That, That every view politically socioeconomically, racially, is going to be skewed in one way or the other. And we need generations 
to help balance, balance us out. Thanks for giving us generations. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. So if you don't know, um, first of all, I'm taking this off. We are in Genesis, uh, our, uh, Ephesians uh, chapter 1. We're, we've decided to go through the whole book uh, of Ephesians. And so the way that we do this is we're uh, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, and um, we just got out of a section where it was talking about soteriology, which is the study of salvation. Essentially, what we looked at is how God saves us, what does that mean, uh, what do we do with that moving forward, and now Paul's going to kind of pivot, and he's going to talk about some of the response to that. So when he starts with, for this reason, it could go either way, it could go what he's been talking about in 3 through 14, I tend to think that he's talking about moving forward for this reason, because I've heard of your faith in, in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love towards all the saints. Uh, I do not cease to give thanks for you and remembering you always in my prayers. And then let's pick it up in verse 17. We're going to kind of go through this. If you're new, it's just going to be a big Bible study together, okay? So this is what it says in verse 17. As he's praying uh, and remembering uh, the uh, Ephesian church, um, he's, he's thankful for them, and he says this. This is what he's praying for. That the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and, the, and, re, and of revelation... In the knowledge of him. His prayer, Paul's prayer, to, this is important, to believers or, or to God for believers is that, and I quote, that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and the revelation and the knowledge of him. Now, um, we're going to unpack this a little bit more, but I don't think, I think the ESV got it wrong when they capitalized S there. I, not to say that he's not talking about the Holy Spirit. I think this is a benefit of having the Holy Spirit. Meaning in the same way, if you were here in the book of Acts, we talked about sometimes it, the Bible uses the term spirit as this, um, this place, this, this steadfastness, this mentality. And I think uh, what Paul is praying is that Paul is praying that you would understand, you would be in this place of understanding, having the spirit of wisdom. Now, obviously that includes the Holy Spirit. The Spirit is the Holy Spirit is who gives the spirit of wisdom, but I think that's ultimately what he's talking about. But we'll come back to that in a little bit. But here's what I want you to hear. He's praying that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and the revelation of the knowledge of him. Now, there's two things about this. Contextually, in Ephesus, the readers are going to be hearing this, or, or the, the people are going to be seeing this for the first time, and they're going to be going, well, we're in a context of, of Artemis, or the Greek god. So if you weren't here in the beginning, uh, we talked about how this is a place that worships Artemis, the, the Greek mythology. And as they worship that, they understand there's a dissonance there to understand, man, that's not the way that we process the gods, to truly know him. That, that's different the way than, than the way that we would understand them. And then the part, the fact that these are believers in Jesus Christ, that Paul would pray, I know you know Jesus. I mean, look back at, at uh, the way that it starts. This is written to the saints. What we just talked about, that these people are sealed. Even the way that this, in verse 15, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So I've heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, but I'm praying that you would have knowledge of Jesus Christ. You tracking with me? That's, that's crazy, right? And I think what he's saying is, I know you, you know of Jesus Christ. And I know you wouldn't say you're following Jesus Christ, but this thing's only just begun. That, like, I can know, I, I knew Candace uh, through people, my wife, um, when we were in high school, and then I knew her as like a friend, and as we started dating, I knew her in one way, and then we got married, I knew her in a new way, and then we had kids, and I knew her in another way. There was this greater understanding as every year goes by that Jim Ellis knows Shirley Ellis far more than I could know Candace right now. That, that, that he's had the time and investment into who she is. And I think what Paul is praying is that 
yeah, yeah, you know God, you know Jesus Christ, but hear me, I want you to know Jesus Christ. I try to think of some examples to process this, and the best way that I think I can explain this is from a movie called Goodwill Hunting, right? So this is generationally, this is probably important because if you are 25 and younger, you probably don't know what Goodwill Hunting is. Uh, it's a story with Robin Williams, who had passed away a, a while back, a couple years ago, and then Matt Damon, who is still alive. Um, and, uh, and it's a story about Matt Damon, who plays this, this guy named Will, who's brilliant. He's an orphan, uh, and he's just crazy smart. And he goes to see a shrink, uh, and, and as he sees this therapist um, and counselor, he sees Robin Williams, whose name is Sean. And uh, there's a scene where uh, Robin Williams is sitting there talking, uh, or I'm sorry, Sean is talking with Will, the smart uh, kid who's an adult uh, man. And uh, Matt Damon, who is Will, walks over to a painting that Robin Williams had painted, and he sees the painting, and he goes, oh, this is terrible. And he just completely undresses him, just, just destroys why the painting is bad, all this stuff. And then starts to kind of dig at his wife. You don't know much about Robin Williams' wife at the time, but he gets super upset, and it's a bad interaction. Well, the next week they get together, a few scenes later, uh, there's this scene by this lake. And Robin Williams is talking to Matt Damon, and he's talking about how Matt Damon knows all these things, but he doesn't really know things. So I want to read it. It's kind of a long quote, but it's worth uh, hearing because there's some positioning that I think even as a culture we can recognize you could know about these things and even say you know these things, but not really know these things. This is uh, what uh, Sean, the counselor, says. So if I asked you about art, you'd probably give me the skinny on every uh, art book ever written. Michelangelo, you know a lot about him. His life's work, political aspirations, him and the Pope, sexual orientation, the whole works, right? But I'll bet you can't tell me what it smells like in the Sistine Chapel. You never actually stood there and looked up at the beautiful ceilings. And then he goes on to talk about, you don't know what it, le- what it looks like to love a woman. You don't know what it looks like to experience war. You don't know what it looks like to be married to someone who has cancer. And as she's dying there, the doctor recognizes uh, uh, visiting hours don't apply to you. you. You may know about these things, but you don't really know these things. And then he says this, you don't know about real loss. Because it only occurs when you've loved something more than you love yourself. And I doubt you've ever dared to love anybody that much. When I look at you, I don't see an intelligent, confident man. I see a cocky, scared kid. But you're a genius, Will. No one denies that. No one could possibly understand the depths of you. But you presume to know everything about me because you saw a painting of mine and ripped my life apart. You're an orphan, right? And Will nods. Yes, you're an or- he- he's an orphan. You think I know the first thing about how hard your life has been? How you feel? How you are? Because I read Oliver Twist? Does that encapsulate you? Personally, I don't give a crap about all that. Unless you want to talk about you, who you are, then I'm fascinated. I'm in. But you don't want to do that, do you, sport? You're terrified of what you might say. Your move, chief. And Robin Williams walks off. Legit. (laughs) Now, what's interesting about this is Robin Williams at this point is coming back at him saying, you think you know, but you don't know. There's something more there. Something that can be smelled and felt. Now, as the movie goes on, what I find completely compelling is the movie starts to taper off and there's this last important scene as Robin Williams and Matt Damon are in the the, the office together and Robin Williams begins to look at Will, uh, uh, Matt Damon, and he says, hey, listen, it's not your fault. And Matt Damon responds with, I know, I know. No, no, no. It's not your fault. I know, I know, I know. It's not my fault. My upbringing wasn't my fault. Will, it wasn't your fault. I know it wasn't your fault. It's not your fault. And what begins to conspire is Will begins to break down. 
all that he can say, he knows, no, I know, I know, he feels suddenly. It's not my fault. The fact that my parents didn't want me, the, the, the fact that I was raised in a crappy home, it's not my fault. And he began to feel in that moment. And I think the totality of, of Goodwill Hunting is trying to pump in this idea that you can know these things, but there's a difference about saying you know Jesus Christ. And I'm not just saying high theology. I'm saying you could know that Jesus Christ died for your sins right now and stay there. And what I'm telling you is there's so much more to that. Paul's prayer And just, you know, for us as leaders, our prayer to you is that you wouldn't just know about Jesus or say you even know Jesus on a casual level, that he's your savior, but there is a tangible difference in your life when you know him, you love him, you have affections for him. And I need you to hear this. God wants that. He wants you to know him. Let me, let me prove it to you. I got a ton of verses for you today. I want you to listen to Jeremiah um, uh, chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. It says this, Thus says the Lord, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice and righteousness on the earth, uh, in the earth for in these things i delight declares the lord that you wouldn't just know about but you know him you know the things that he likes uh, i'm not done there because i think there's even in proverbs eight seventeen, uh it says that he blesses those who seek him diligently so let's dig in L- listen to a few things about this the way that god describes um, us knowing him because he doesn't just use far-off spiritual Artemis language. What's a trip about all this is he uses sensual language, meaning he uses our senses, okay? So, so listen to a few of these verses. One of the more popular ones is in Psalm uh, 34, 8. It says this, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. In uh, uh, John ten twenty seven, it says this, My sheep listen to my voice. That's crazy. Tasting, seeing, listening. This is more than just casually knowing. Uh, one more for you. In Acts 17, 26 and 27, it tells us that God made all the world through one man, death through, uh, and death through this one man, and he pre-appointed all the boundaries in which they would dwell and the pre-appointed times in which they would dwell there. Okay? So just, that's crazy. God determined where you would live. You think your parents did. You think your parents' parents did. God determined where you would live and when you would live. He determined that. And then he goes on to say this, so that you would seek for him. I love this language that it puts, and I, uh, it's unfortunate some translations don't do it. And you would grope for him, for he is not far off from, one, uh, from each one of us. That you would seek after him, and you imagine in the dark, and you're reaching out. I know there's a wall there. I don't want to stub my toe. And this is what God is saying. I know you can't see me, but continue to reach out for me. Continue to pursue me. Continue to try to know me. There's a big difference in this slew of verses, from knowing God, about God, and really knowing him, having the knowledge of deep intimacy with him. Hear me, man, he's given us the law. He's given us the prophets. He's given us your word. He gave us Holy Spirit. He gave us his son, all for the purposes in his glory that we would know him. I, I mean, think back, ladies in the room, Go back, maybe you're 17 years old, or maybe you are 17 years old, and you got this boyfriend, you guys are really digging on each, each other, and he says, hey, I love you, I got a scavenger hunt, right? 
And so you're super excited about this because you don't know what it's going to lead to. You're super jacked about the whole thing, right? So you start doing this and one clue leads to another, another clue leads to another. You got all these things. You get about 30 clues in and you're like, sweetie, how long is this scavenger hunt? He goes, oh, there's no end to it. I will continue to put these clues over and over day by day, but there's, there's no end to it. You'd be like, well, that's dumb. Because, and, and this is what I'm saying, God has not aimlessly just said, and go. No, no, he's given us a target, something to pursue. He's given us his word, his prayer, fasting, meditation, over, Bible memorization, community, mission, all for the purposes of something. And that something in his glory is to know him, to truly know him. Now, I love what Paul does next in this, this uh, section of verses here. Um, he says this, so in asking that, like the spirit of wisdom, I think he gives in verse 18 when it says, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, I think he's giving us like a, a how, how do we know him? Or this is how we can know him by these means. And he makes this declaration, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. Now, I think the eyes of your hearts would, would presume that there's something more than just your physical eyes, right? He's not saying so you can see clear. There's something deeper going on, like Uh, that your heart would be open to something more. You would really see, like wake up, that something within you would really wake up. Now that's interesting because his response is, I want you to know God more, and the way for you to do that is that you would see clearly. You would see something else that's going on. And when it uses the language of having the eyes of your heart enlightened, I think it's important for us to recognize that word enlightened is a word that we actually use a lot in our culture. I mean, can we just step back and understand there are juxtapositions uh, to the way that we view enlightenment? That there are ways in which uh, 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 the world has put in front of us false enlightenings? I don't know if that's right, but let's just go with it. So, so here, here's what I mean. Um, man, for, in, on a mass level, for years, we as, let's just take the last 300 years, we've decided to take the 19th and 20th century as a human race, or at least in the Western world, and look at education as a way, if we just have enough education, if we can just teach enough people, there'll be no more racism, we'll take care of the poor, you'll see things the right way. I mean, in the 21st century, we see this uh, through the means of technology. If we can continue to connect people globally, we'll have this sense of seeing things better, broader. Now, and to some extent, those things are, not, are, are true, but in a big way, they have failed us. They have absolutely failed us. It's not just true, like, mass, like everybody's got their view on how you're to be enlightened. Right? Like, you want to be enlightened? There's even offshoots of big groups where you go, smoke pot, you'll be enlightened. You want to be enlightened? Do yoga. Find your inner chi. That's how you'll be enlightened. If you want to be enlightened, you'll see things from the right. They're missing it. If you would see things from this perspective, that, then you'll get it. Or, no, 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 see things from the left. The, the right doesn't see it. If you could see that over and over and over, buy a pumpkin spice latte in the fall, then you'll truly be enlightened. Whatever it is, there's a way that we think that if we do this or do this, and everybody at this point, it doesn't have to be groups. anybody who has access to a keyboard has an opinion of the way things are supposed to be true enlightenment. And what I love about Paul here, he says, says, listen, I'm talking to brothers and sisters in the faith that you would know God more, and the way that you can do this is that you'd have the eyes of your heart enlightened to know, to know. And then what he does, look at your Bibles, that you may know him. There are um, three things that he gives us. So if you want to know, how can I know him more? I think Paul's putting in front of us what Spurgeon calls the three what's. 
He gives us three what. So I want you to look at uh, 18. What is the hope to which you have been called? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And then in 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards uh, us who believe according to the working of his great might? Here's what we're going to do today, okay? Um, We've got about 20 minutes. Nope, 15 minutes. Um, What we're going to do is I'm going to just unpack the first two what's. And and then we're going to come back to verse 19 because verses 19 through 23 talk about that power. So we're going to first talk about what it means to have hope in Jesus Christ when God uses this language, or Paul uses this language of inheritance, and then we'll talk about power next week, tailing it on it, because it's a lot to cover. So if we want to have the eyes of our heart enlightened, when they are enlightened, this is what we'll see. The first one is this, that we would know what is the hope to which uh, he has called you. I want to take a moment and just, I want to remind you what this is all about. What I mean by that is, um, there's a crazy encounter uh, in, in uh, 2 Kings uh, chapter 6, where Elijah is sitting with a servant, and they're, they're surrounded by a, a, a huge army. And the servant wakes Elijah up and goes, dude, we're going to die. Um, and Elijah prays to God that God would open the eyes of his servant. And God does it. And when God opens the eyes of his servant, what his servant sees in that moment is all of the Lord's army. And he recognizes, I've only seen a a very tunnel view of what's going on, but God opens his eyes to see something bigger, something deeper, something better of what's going on. He sees in that moment the spiritual. And then suddenly there's a calmness to him. Oh, God's got us. They got like a thousand people. We got like a hundred thousand angels surrounding us. I'm not tripping. And this is important because I think as we view hope, um, the world tends to view hope through the, the, the lenses of, well, well, I hope I don't get sick. I hope the economy does well. And it, send, it tends to be plausible propositions, I hope. And there's really no guarantee or assurance in that hope. But here's what's crazy about that. When it uses what is the hope, the New Testament talks about hope way differently than we use the term hope. There's a security in it. Meaning in, in John eleven twenty three, 23, we're told that we as Christians, brothers and sisters in the faith, will not die. And we're told in Titus 1, 2 that God cannot lie. So we have a hope in the fact that, listen, I'm not going to die. Sure, my outward man will absolutely perish, but I will go from life to better life. That's a promise. I can hope in it. I'm not just going, man, I hope when I die I'm in heaven. No, what God has told me is that I will not die. And I'm told in the scriptures that he's not a liar. This is why in 1 Peter, uh, uh, Peter calls this hope a living hope. It's alive. It's doing something. And so, so what I want to put in front of you, to, to be enlightened, under, uh, understand the way that the scriptures talk to me enlightened, is remember the hope to which you've been called. Remember the hope that you have. The hope that your neighbor doesn't have. Or can I say this? The hope you used to not have. That you have a hope. Dig into it like Elijah's servant. See the array of what's going on. The beauty that is in front of you. Man, can I just say this? There should be a vis- visceral, like a type of visual, visceral, visual, visceral reaction. Let's just, yep, I'm on fire today. Um, there should be this reaction emotionally when we process hope. So let me read something to you because I think it uh, proves that point. Listen to Romans chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. You'll just have to listen. This is what it says. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs uh, according, or I'm sorry, uh, together until now. Not only that, so he's saying the earth 
is going, well, I'm struggling. I'm, str- I'm dying here. Ever since Genesis 3, I'm dying here. I'm not being treated right. I- I- it's bad. I cannot wait until the sons of obedience come to fulfillment, and then I myself, as the earth, will be restored. He's given this personification of what the earth is, saying the earth is groaning. But not only the earth, okay? Not only that, but we groan within ourselves eagerly, waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope. But hope, this is, I love this, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. You don't see him right. I get it. I'm there with you. You have desires in the opposite direction. At the end of the day, there should be something to go, oh, he's going to return. It's not always going to be like this. He's guaranteed that I have a hope in him. And and, and I'm glad that in this moment I don't see it because it's forced me to rely on the faith in Jesus Christ and his word and what he has said. I have a hope. And maybe the world doesn't have that hope, but I have that hope. It should cause something to groan within us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for giving me that hope. If you want the eyes of your hearts to be enlightened, remember your hope. Don't lose the fact that Jesus has given you a hope that is different from all other false hopes. The second thing is this. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? So we are to ponder and meditate on what is this hope, but also to ponder on, ponder in the riches of, of his glorious inheritance in the saints. Now, this word inheritance has appeared twice so far, and I've been waiting to do this with us because I'm super excited to get to the back half here of verse uh, 18. When it says in verse 11 and 14, it uses the same word. It's actually, yeah, it uses, both uses the, the term inheritance. And I think I want to process that for a second, what it means for us to inherit. Uh, what, what, what do we get in our inheritance? Because I think if we can think through these things and remember these things, I think it's wildly beneficial in us even processing verses 11 uh, and 14, okay? So when I talk about, or we talk about biblically, what is inheritance? This is a short list, but I need you to hear this. What you, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, here is what you have inherited. This is what you have inherited. You ready for this? First of all, know that you've inherited the fact that you're going to go through trouble and pain. This is in John 16 and uh, 2 Timothy 3. You'll be persecuted. You will go through pain. That is something in this life that you will experience. Now, though that's true, I I want you just to hear the the beauty and the blessings of inheritance as well. Not just the hardship in that we see the blessings through that, but but there's something in all this that we can go, oh yes, I forgot. You ready? Let me give it to you. Listen to this. Joshua 1.9, the Lord will be your God and will be with you wherever you go. That's a part of your inheritance. He will be with you wherever you go. In Isaiah 26, 3, God will keep you in perfect peace if your mind is stayed on him. If you keep your mind stayed on him, part of your inheritance is is you will have the peace you're looking for. Man, that's crazy. Everything you're looking for, keep your mind steady on him and you'll have that peace. Oh, we're not even close to that. Hebrews 13, 5. The Lord will never leave you and forsake you. 1 Peter 5, 7, he cares for you. That's crazy. John 16, 3, the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. God, I don't know you. I want to know you. How can I know you more? You've received an inheritance. That inheritance is that the Holy Spirit will guide you into all truth. Breathe. He's got you. We're not, we're not done there. In Mark 13, 11, the Holy Spirit will also give you uh, the right words to say when they are needed. 
God, I don't know what to say in this moment. The Holy Spirit's got you. That's part of your inheritance. Romans 3, 24. I am justified by him freely, by his grace. Romans 5, 1. We have peace with God because uh, uh, I've been justified in that faith. Romans 8, 1. There is no condemnation because I've received inheritance being in Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 26 through 27. The Holy Spirit will help you to pray. Romans 8, 28. All things work together for your good. Can we just sit on that one? That's always used that like the funeral thing. But let's, let's, let's sit on that for a second. If you are a believer, you've received an inheritance in such a way that even though it doesn't feel like it, all things are working for your good. You needed to lose that job. It was becoming an idol. He loves you enough to, to make you lose it. All things are working for your good. We're still not done. Listen to this. When you labor in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. That's great. Everybody else has not received the inheritance. They're laboring to what end? Why are you a doctor? Who cares? But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, there's an eternity that you're looking at there. Let me give you a couple more together. Um, In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, it says, God won't let you uh, uh, be tried or tempted beyond what you can endure. So you're receiving temptation, you're in temptation. Don't worry, God's got you, not beyond what you can endure. Jesus will actually help you uh, in your temptation in Hebrews 2.18. In 2 Corinthians 7, 6, these are all together. When you're downcast, he will comfort you. 1 Peter 5.10, even in suffering, he will strengthen you. 2 Thessalonians 1, 6, God will repay those who trouble you. Ha! Okay, dudes being super mean to you, girls gossiping about you, breathe. Jesus has got you. Like you want to try to inflict wrath back, don't. Listen, whatever wrath you think you can bring, I promise he can bring a lot more. He's got you. We're not done. In Philippians 4, 19, God will supply all of your needs. In James 4, 2, if you ask, God will provide it. And then lastly, three more. 2 Timothy 4, 8, in your inheritance, you have a crown of righteousness awaiting you because you long for his appearing. You can't wait. That, That heart is churning within you and there's a crown of righteousness that is waiting for you. That's part of your inheritance. We're still not done. In 2 Peter 3.13, a new heaven and a new earth await you. It's called the home of righteousness. And in 1 John 3.2, when Jesus appears, you ready for this? We'll be made like him. We'll be made like him. That's your inheritance. You've received an inheritance. Verses 11 and 14 have said it to be so. But here's how we finish. That's not the inheritance this verse is talking about. This inheritance that, that is being said and everything I put before us is yes and amen true. And it's been true of verses 11 and 14. But for the first time in the book of Ephesians, we get a glimpse into not what we have just, an inher- what we have just inherited in Jesus Christ, but this verse says what God has inherited. This is God's inheritance. And, and you know we get all of that list of blessings. You, you know what God gets in his glory? The saints. He gets us. That his inheritance is the saints. I mean, I've wrestled with this text because it felt like it wasn't clicking. The way that I was trying to understand it. I was reading commentaries and they were pointing to the fact that this is God's inheritance. And I'm like, that does not how it reads. I'm reading other translations. And without question, this is what it's talking about. That God's inheritance, when we receive all these blessings from him, is you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, for his glory, he has decided for you to be his inheritance. Listen to some of these verses. Exodus 6, 7, it says this, I will, not, or I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. In verse 19, verse 5, now if you obey me and fully follow my commandments, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. 
We're, we're not even done in that t- uh, uh, Titus 2.14. He gave himself uh, for us to redeem us. This, I love this. From all lawlessness to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That's in the New Testament. That he has a people. He did this so that he would have a people. One more for you. Listen to 1 John 3.2. I'm sorry, I read that in, in 1 Peter 2.9. But you are a chosen people. We've actually gone over this verse on a Sunday. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. You want the eyes of your heart to be enlightened. Check it out. You're wanted. You're wanted. The creator of everything. He, he, man, he could have hung the pictures of the planets, the galaxies, Minute organisms, crazy, the eyeball, what he, that's crazy. He could have put all these things on, the, on his halls in his home. But you know what his inheritance is? You know what he celebrates in, in his glory? The saints. He wants you. He loves you. And you want your eyes to be enlightened so that you can know God more? Know you are wanted. Know you are his inheritance. South Spurgeon says it. Look, if you will, to all the majestic halls of heaven where the lamps of glory are lit with supernatural splendor. But neither angel nor cherubim nor seraphim cost the Lord's sweat to be there. Now then look at his people. There find his inheritance in the saints. For it is there that the Son of God, taking upon himself human nature, sighed and groaned and sweat. Can't help but think of Hebrews chapter 12, that it's the joy that was set before him. It's so crazy. That joy that was set before him in his glory was you. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you follow Jesus Christ, he wants you. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your goodness towards us and a reminder that you want us to know you more and a reminder that there is a way to do that, that we need to see differently, that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened. My prayer for all of us in this room is that we would see differently in how we view hope. We would be reminded that we have a hope beyond what the world can offer, that we would see differently in how we are accepted and loved We would see the word inheritance as both what we've received in the cross of Jesus Christ being imputed onto us in righteousness, but at the same time, God, in your beauty, you've decided to inherit us. Thank you for that, that you want us to be a people for your own possession. We love you, Jesus. We need you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Um, here's where I'd like to end as you guys sit. This time is set aside for us just to be. And what I'd love for you to sit on and focus on um, is, is both of these combined. Here, here, here's what I mean. Um, it's just scientifically proven that kids who know they are loved, even when disciplined and punished, when they know they are loved, they excel far more than those who are not. It's just, just like, this is, this is just social science. Can I just say this? You can try to irk your way out of leaving here and trying to do more. But I think the reason God wants you to know that you have a hope in him 
The reason that God wants you to know that you are in his inheritance is that you're secure in him. You are loved. And out of that love, you operate in fruit. Out of that love, you read your Bible. Out of that love, you talk to your neighbor. Out of that love, you pray. Out of that love, you give. And if you try to do it any other way, God's going, you're my inheritance. Why are you trying to work for what you already have? So I want you just to sit. Meditate on that. I think that's what the scripture is pointing us to this morning. That you are loved. You are accepted. God has got you. He has sealed you even into last week. Take that time for a little bit. And then someone's going to come up and lead us in our time of corporate response together.